This uh, past week, I was talking with a woman. She was a church attender. I'm not really sure that she was a Jesus follower. And she was telling me about a very painful relationship and breakup that her daughter had recently gone through and, and how devastated her daughter was by this. And she said to me, you know, I told her, you always have to care for yourself first. You always have to look out for number one first. No one else is ever going to look out for you. And she said, I told her, in all of my relationships, including my marriage relationship with your father, I always remember to look out for number one, to look out for myself first, because nobody is ever going to love you as much as you need them to you have to look to do that for yourself. Well, I think that she was right in one respect, and that is that our self-love is something that's very strong. I think it's why the Bible tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because God knows that our self-love is a, it's a persistent and a powerful thing. But I, but I felt sorry for her in another respect. Because to spend your life looking out for number one, always looking to take care of yourself, is to really live your life out of fear. Fear that you'll be cheated. Fear that you'll be taken advantage of. Fear that if you don't love yourself first, then no one will ever really love you. I'll tell you, if you listen to him and you obey him, Jesus came to deliver us from living in that kind of fear. Just before Jesus has gone to the cross, he's with his disciples. I'm going to read today from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Father, today as we reflect upon these words, I pray that you would fill our hearts with your grace. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to be able to understand them, to accept them, to live by them. And so, Father, as Jesus says here that his desire is for us that we would bear much fruit, we pray that we would in his name. Amen. Trusting in God's love sets you free from fear 
and from the tyranny of self-love. And to remain in Christ's love means understanding how it is that he loves us. You know, John will write, the same John who wrote this gospel, he'll write in his first letter, chapter 4 and verse 18, he writes the words, God is love. Those are pretty astounding words. God is love. And that's an eternal truth. God is love. Not God became love. Not merely God is loving. But God is identified with this attribute. As God's identified with all of his attributes, God is love. Those words should be attention-getting. They should be startling, really. Because love is an eternal attribute of God. And you know, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, the, the Bible tells us that there was a time when the universe didn't exist. Modern science tells us that there's a time that the universe did not exist. And we're told that in the beginning, before there was anything else, there was God. God is love. Whom did God love before anything else was created? Well, those words, I think, could only have been written by John if he understood that there is one God and that one God exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and in that incredible, unfathomable truth of who God is, who we sometimes blithely call the Trinity as though by naming it we could somehow comprehend it, the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son before all worlds, before anything was created, before anything. The Father loves the Son because He is the Son. So listen to what Jesus says and let it sink in. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Loved you before the foundations of the world. Loved you before you were conceived in your mother's womb. Loved you when you came to faith in Christ. Loved you when you strayed and lived in rebellion against him. Loves you even now when you stray. Because if you don't get that right, you're going to misunderstand everything else that Jesus has to say here. If you don't get that, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, you're never going to know the great comfort of the gospel. And I'll tell you, I think there are a lot of professed Christians who don't get it, and, and sadly there's a lot of churches that don't preach it. To hear some people tell it, uh, John 3.16, do you all know John 3.16, something you've memorized as kids, that God so loved the world, right? So, so Some people, to hear them tell it, think that John 3.16 needs to be rewritten. It should be, for God so hated the world that he sent his son into it so that he could love it. 
But no, in fact, Jesus told us, and these are Jesus' words that John records, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And if you don't understand that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, you're going to misunderstand then what Jesus says next because there's a relationship between remaining in Christ's love and doing what he commands. Those things go together. Let me read to you from uh, verse 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Um, you know, when the, when the oldest of my children, my older son, when he was maybe four years old, maybe he was three years old, um, something happened that I grabbed as a teachable moment. I tried to do that with all my kids at various times throughout their childhood. And uh, four years old, I don't know that he would remember this, but I remember it and I hope that it was Formative because I, I did something deliberately to teach him about the love of God. He'd committed some infraction. I don't remember what the infraction was. But it was something for which he should know better. And he was disciplined for it. And uh, in our house, whenever there was discipline, there was also afterwards repentance and hugs and tears and prayers. And, and when that was all passed, I can remember I put him, a little guy here, on my lap about this far from my face. And I looked into his eyes and I said, when, when you do wrong, does daddy love you? And his eyes got big. And he said, no. And I said to him, no son, that's wrong. Daddy always loves you. His love for you will never change. And if you do wrong because you're my son, I insist that you change and that you make it right. But I love you because you are my son and that will never change. See, in his little heart, he thought what we're all inclined to think that my love for him was dependent upon his goodness, his obedience. If you be- obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. And, and, and some of you, when you read that, some of you, the thought that's popped into your mind is that that means if I do his commands, he'll love me. And thinking like that is the very opposite of what Jesus is saying. Listen, I I read it today. Jesus had a rich young man come up to him. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you know know the commandments? And And then he gives them what we would call those six commandments that are toward our fellow man. 
It says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And we're told that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Was, was the problem that Jesus didn't love him? That wasn't the problem. The problem was that he couldn't bring himself to trust in that love. The problem that Jesus put his finger on was that he had to look out for number one. He had to hedge his bets. He had a great deal of wealth, and that wealth was his security. You know, we too often, I think, we we focus on the deity of Jesus and we too often downplay his humanity. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. That's not an illusion. All of those things that surround us that say it would be so much easier if you did it a different way than the way that God says and the way he called you, those were all around him too. The temptations were real at times, we see them arduous. But Jesus always obeyed his father. Listen, not to compel the father's love, but because he was safe in his father's love. The father loves the son. Jesus had said that twice earlier in the gospel, in chapter 3 and chapter 5 of John's gospel. The father loves the son. It was his constant confidence. And he was secure in his father's love. The only way that you will ever be able to live a life of obedience to God, particularly when the temptations around you to do otherwise are very great, is to have the same confidence. That's what Jesus means when he says, remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And he calls his disciples to have confidence in his love. Remain in my love does not mean do something to earn it, then I'll love you. Remain in my love means meditate upon it, recall it, believe it, experience it, trust it. If you think, if you think that what Jesus means is if I obey his commands well enough, he'll continue to love me, if that's what you think Jesus means, you will always hedge your bets because you'll always have a nagging fear of failure. You'll always say that I might not live up to it well enough for him to continue to love me. And if that's what you think, you'll always have to look out for number one, always have to love yourself first. Jesus came to set us free from that. To know the joy that he knows of being safe and free 
in his Father's love. That's what he says. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We don't earn God's love by our obedience. Obedience is the result of confidence in God's love for us. And and safe in the love of Jesus, we are set free to do what he commands us without fear and without hedging. Um, You know, for my 40th birthday, which was just last year, for my 40th birthday, a friend of mine um, bought me a pass, I don't know what you want to call it, bought me a day at Sport Rock in Sterling. Do any of you know what Sport Rock is in Sterling? It's this. It's this, it's this rock climbing place. And that was really nice. He said, I'm going to take you to Sport Rock for the day. Um, what, he, what he didn't know, and I thought it was so nice, I didn't tell him, I'm terrified of heights. I, I don't like heights. When I was a little kid, I went to Long Beach Island, Barnegat Lighthouse, went to the top. That was okay. If, you, if it's still the same way, the top, the bird's nest around, the crow's nest around there, it's, you ever see that, 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 that chain link fence? Well, the birds, the, the, the crow's nest up there is made out of chain link fence, not just on the sides, on the bottom too. And I stepped out of that, of that, that door onto the thing and I plastered myself against the door of the lighthouse and I wouldn't move. And they, you know, if you know that, you have to go around to go back down, right? I wasn't moving. My dad had to pick me up and carry me, and I screamed the whole time. I do not like heights. So we get to Sport Rock, and I'm nervous, but I'm trying, you know, not to. And if, if, have you been there? Have you been to Sport Rock? So they've got this, they've got this rock wall. It's 30,000, 40,000 feet tall. I don't know what it is. And, um, <clears throat> and, and they clip a harness on me. And, uh, and, the, and the guy who was there was telling us could tell, and he said, uh, he goes, are you nervous about this? I said, yeah, I really don't like heights. He said, look, I want to show you something. He said, this is, a, this is an automatic belaying system. He said, so, he said, so it's going to be slack. You won't feel it. He said, but if, but if you jump or fall, he said, you'll fall about six inches, and it'll catch, and, and you'll just float down softly. And uh, he, said, he said, I'm going to show you that. He said, climb up as high as you feel safe. So I climbed up maybe about four or five feet. And he said, okay, jump off. And I did. And it caught. And he said, climb up a little higher. And I did. And he said, climb up a little higher and jumped off. And I did. And I started to realize that this was going to catch me every time I did it. And then after that, I couldn't believe I did it. I, I, I just climbed the thing right to the top and over the wall. There's there no pressure on me. It wasn't, you know, I could have, but, but, but I knew that I was safe. I knew that I couldn't fall. Safe in the love of Jesus, we are set free to do what he commands without fear of falling, without hedging. Now listen, does that mean that I, I, I got there actually without falling? Does that mean I couldn't have fallen? I could have slipped and fallen but I knew that I was safe. And it's an interesting thing. If I didn't know that I was safe, I can almost guarantee you that I would have fallen because I wouldn't have committed myself, because I would be hedging. But because I was safe, I was, I was free to completely commit myself. 
So he says, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And what is it that he commands us to do? Well, he sums it up here in verses 12 and verses 17. He says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. See, as the Father's loved me, I've loved you. And as I've loved you, you love each other. He says, this is my command in verse 17. My command is that you love each other. And, and you know, Jesus, Jesus was asked one time, it's recorded in a few of the Gospels, what's the greatest command? And he said, the first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And that was the question he was asked, but he was quick to add a second. He said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on, on these two things depend the whole of the law and the prophets. That's the principle. What's the first and greatest command? Love the Lord your God. What's the, what's the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the principle, right? God first, neighbor second. But in practice, what does it look like? Well, you might be surprised. Romans 13, the Apostle Paul says, the commandments are summed up in this. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. In Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You look at that and you think in light of what Jesus says, shouldn't those be the commandments are summed up in you will love the Lord your God? Wouldn't we think that it was the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? But that's not what the Bible says. You know why? Because it's, it's, it's so easy to claim to be loving God when you're really just serving yourself. All the Pharisees were masters at it. They would say, we, we, we love God so greatly. And, and John, in his first letter, he's really blunt about it. He says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, but what John says is startling. He doesn't say he's mistaken, he's wrong. He says he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It might seem surprising that the commandments are fulfilled in loving our neighbors and particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ until we realize that we can't really do anything for God, to benefit God. We don't, we, we don't give him something that he didn't have already. And it's, oh, so easy to claim that we love God. But we can do things for people to benefit People, people, human beings who are created in the image and likeness of God. And, and, and what we're taught, what the Bible teaches us is that how we treat those created in the image of God is the truest test of how we regard God. You know, most unexpectedly, is uh, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16. You all know that, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's interesting that 1 John 3.16 is kind of parallel to that. And it says this, it says he, referring to Jesus, he 
laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for, we would think naturally, him. He laid down his life for us. We should lay down our lives for him. But that's not what John says. He said he laid down his life for us. And so we should lay down our lives for our brothers. For the ones that he laid his life down for. Now, you know, probably none of us will ever be called to actually die for someone else in the church. But we're called to die to ourselves every week, every day. Die to our self-interests. Die to looking out for number one. Die to hedging our bets. Die to self-love. And, and you and I only have the hope of doing that if we're secure in God's love. And how can we be sure of God's love for us? You know, we could ask with David's psalm, what am I that you should be mindful of me? That you should consider me? Because sometimes, right, sometimes we know that we're downright unlovely. The best of times, we recognize that. Sometimes it'll happen on a Saturday that I'll get up and I'll say to my dear wife, I'm just, just stay clear of me today because I'm in a foul mood and, 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 I, and I don't want to inflict that upon you. Right? And at the best of times, we know it. We know that at times, we're downright unlovely. Why should we think that God loves us? Jesus says to them, he says, greater love has no one than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Why should we think that God loves us? Because Jesus has called us friends. But, you know, our our English word friends, I don't even know what that means. It's like buddy or something. There was an 80s sitcom called Friends, right? But the word that Jesus uses here means, means beloved. Beloved. Loved ones. And Jesus had said before that he was their Lord and Master, that we're his servants. He said that before in chapter 13. But that's not all we are. We're his friends. You are his friends. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We didn't choose him, he chose us. I want to tell you that whatever else that means, whatever other implications are in Jesus saying that, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you, what it means is this, that we don't have to convince him to be our friend. He chose us. He calls you to be convinced that he's your friend. Greater love has no one than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And you know, you, you might be thinking, well, you know, I've not been much of a friend. Maybe, maybe even this past week you've thought, I've not been much of a friend still sin, still don't trust his love enough to trust 
or to love other people as I, as I should. I don't really feel like a friend. And, and, and sometimes, truth be told, sometimes I feel like a downright enemy. Well, I want to tell you, if you feel that way, I've, I've got some good news for you. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 5. And he says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Trusting God's love sets you free from the fear and the tyranny of self love. And, and maybe, maybe you've never really trusted his love. Maybe you come to church, maybe you believe the doctrines, maybe you try your best, but you keep slipping up. But you've never been able to bring yourself quite to believe it. That Christ loves you. That he gave himself for you. If you think that your acceptance with God rests upon what you do, you're always going to have the sense that it's not enough. You're always going to be hedging your bets. You're always going to be making sure that there's something there to catch you in case or when you fall. And you'll always have to look out for number one. If, if you've read Jesus' words, remain in my love, and you thought that that meant that you had to do something to earn Jesus' love, you'll never know the comfort of the gospel. God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news that Jesus came to bring. I'm going to pray in a moment. And you know, uh, when we had our uh, time of confession, I usually give you time to pray. I didn't this time. I didn't do that really deliberately. Because I'd like to ask you to reflect upon that question, have I really trusted in his love? And, and, and if you haven't, would you seek his grace to do it today? Trusting God's love sets you free from fear and the tyranny of having to hedge your bets and give in to self-love. Let's just bow our heads silently. I'll give you a few moments to pray.
Lord Jesus, where have we ever seen love like this? Maybe, maybe, there's, there's, a, there's a dim view of it in the love of a father for his little son, even when he's done wrong. But, but Lord Jesus, you told us that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, well, how much greater is our Heavenly Father? And so, Father, I pray for myself and for everyone present, for everyone who's joining us on live stream, for everyone who may watch this later, that, that we would test ourselves, examine our hearts to, to see if we've not really trusted you, if we've hedged our bets because it keeps us from being able to love. That's why you've told us that, that if you love me, if you remain in my love, that you'll keep my commandments because we'll be free to do it. And, and Father, if, if, if we've not done that, if anyone's not done that, help us to fully entrust ourselves to you and set us free and help us to bear fruit. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.